Hey, if you got your Bibles this morning, if you're new to church, if you like boring churches, you're dismissed. If you like pastors that put you to sleep, come on, you're dismissed. If you get bored this morning for some reason, you're boring. Just want to make an announcement today. Is that all right? Uh, I do believe that church should be fun. The Bible says in the presence of God is the fullness of sleep, joy. And some people go to church and they think that sleeping on Sunday mornings is actually doing God a favor. Uh, but I know this, when I go to my mom's house and my dad's house, they don't get extra pleasure when I walk into their living room and fall asleep on their couch. They love my company. They love me to be engaged. And I believe this morning that at this church, wherever you're at, whatever location you're in this morning, that God is going to engage you where you are. If you believe it, go ahead and say amen. amen. And we're going to have a good time this morning. If you're new to this community, uh, I'm going to open up the Bible to Joshua chapter 1. And uh, I'm going to read 11 verses today in this church. And I do believe this is a word for not only today, the people sitting in this room. I actually believe God put this on my heart for really a declaration of the season you're getting ready to enter into. I believe this is going to be a season, a new season. I even want to announce it before, you, before it starts. Of decisive, complete, exhaustive victory. I believe the days of fighting opponents that had the advantage are behind you. And I believe that this is a new chapter individually and collectively. Come on, if I can't get a Baptist head nod, I'll take a Pentecostal amen. Come on. I'm telling you, this is going to be a new season of victory. If you believe it, come on, say amen. And I like to have a good time. I'm tell some jokes. I have kids. They're dad jokes. Come on. Warning. But I do want to front with you about, about my, my premise this morning is I do believe that God is going to, going, to, going to come in this room in a powerful way. I believe some of you that have never felt his presence are, are going to feel it. At least some of you that have never been healed by God are going to get healed today. He actually told me there's someone that you have a bone issue, like right here behind your thumb. I saw it last night. I think that I'm not sure which service you're in or what campus you're in. There's someone that has a small bone in your thumb that's caused problems for years. And in this service, I want to announce to you that God is going to heal you. And I felt like there was someone that has a tricep issue, going to be healed. I saw a red van last night, and there was an injury that occurred to you in a red van. I saw it very vividly, and I want you to know that God is going to heal. Listen to me. God can not only heal bones, he can heal minds. He can heal hearts. Come on, if you believe it. I know it's first service, but I'm going to preach like it's second service. And I'm not going to apologize about it. We're going to have a good time this morning. If you got your Bible, uh, Joshua chapter 1, if you're there, say I'm there. I want to talk to you today, uh, again, this is a, a word, I started kind of developing this thought, God was speaking to me uh, in, in Orange County, but I really felt like it was a now word for 1132, and uh, I want to talk to you today about the promised land, the promised land. If you're taking notes this morning, my title of this sermon, if you're a churchgoer, uh, is promised land, uh, what, seems, what seems to be the problem, what seems to be the problem, tap your neighbor and say, what seems to be the problem, seems to be the problem. Um, I'm going to talk to you today about the promised land, and uh, if maybe this is your first time in church, you're like, man, this is, this is a new experience, and uh, you're like, this is wild, or maybe you come every week and you're so Christian that you don't even have a comforter on your bed, because Jesus is your comforter. <laughs> maybe you only eat pizza that's been delivered, um, but I do believe that God is going to meet you where you're at. Come on, if you believe it, say amen. amen. Joshua chapter 1, if you're there. Uh, I want to start reading in verse 1, and uh, again, I'm just honored to be here with you. My wife, Rochelle, the woman of my dreams, sends her greetings, and my uh, four-year-old, that's a blender that's missing a lid, says hello, <laughs> and um, we're going to have a great time today. Okay, if you're new to our church, uh, here this morning, we're going to read 11 verses. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and then I'm going to tell a story. If you laugh, we'll call it a joke. 
Deal? All right, Joshua chapter 1. I want to talk to you today about uh, what, seems, what seems to be the problem. It says, after the death of Moses, after the death of Moses, uh, the servant of the Lord, uh, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, uh, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, go mourn him. Uh, go, go make excuses. Uh, go lay down and be defeated. Let's say, Moses, my servant, is dead. Come on now, therefore... Come on, God, where's the empathy? You ever notice that God's on a mission? <laughs> he says, come on, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot treads upon, I have given you. As I said to Moses, from the wilderness of this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, to the land of the Hittites, uh, the, all the ites, come on, the parasites, even the cellulites, can I get an Amen. <laughs> He says, to this land, I want you to go. Every place that you see in Canaan, I'm giving to you all this territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong. Say with me, strong. God loves strong people. And be of good courage. For the people you shall divide as an inheritance, the land that I swore to their fathers to give them only be what? Strong and a very, very good courage uh, that you may be able to observe, observe to do ac according to all that is in the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from the left or to the right that you may, uh, may prosper. Come on, that's for a campus this morning, that you, that you may prosper uh, wherever you go. Who wants to prosper wherever you go? This book shall not depart from you. Uh, from your mouth, it should not leave your mouth, it shall not leave your, whenever, I want to just let you know, whenever preachers pause, that's your cue. Let's try it out. This, this law shall not leave your, you got it, okay, so I want to make sure we're on the same page. It gets awkward if we don't do that. Let's stay together, team. Um, says this, shall not depart from your mouth, but uh, you're supposed to observe this thing that you might be able to do all that is written in it. For then, and only then, will your way be prosperous. And then, I, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you today to be strong, of good courage? Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua commanded all the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the land. Command the people, saying, to prepare provisions for themselves. Within three days, we're going to cross over the Jordan and go into the promised land. And uh, it says this, in your, that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Possess. I know this is a pretty well-known um, passage of Scripture. If you've been in church, maybe you've heard someone teach on it. Likely, you have. Uh, but I just really felt like God's going to do something fresh today. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I just thank you for Church 1132. I thank you for big vision. I thank you for big dreams. I thank you, Lord, for, uh, for even large-scale faith. I pray today that whether we're a first-time guest or we come every week, that you would meet us where we are. I pray that you would show us how real, how true, how loving, and how awesome, God, you're, you are. We invite you to have preeminence today. Do what you want to do today. God, we pray continual blessing on your team, the Los Angeles Lakers. In Jesus' name. Come on, someone said amen. And Dallas, come on, come on. Pray for Dallas too. Where's my Cowboy fans at? Come on. Come on, Cowboy Nation, I love them. They say that Cowboy fans make the best husbands because if you don't cheat on the Cowboys, you'll never cheat on anything. It's a loyal fan base. I'm a Cowboys fan. 
I am a Cowboys fan. I had a, I had a, I had a Cowboys. Actually, my, my vacuum broke years ago. I got a Cowboys sticker. I put it back on my vacuum. It started sucking all over again. Come on, somebody. <sighs> kidding. I'm kidding. I'm a Cowboys fan. It's just Cowboys jokes. They came to me. We got some players from Boise State that play for the Cowboys. I actually started coming to the church here, but I am, I am, a, I am praying for the Cowboys today. I, uh, I don't know if you've been there before. Who's ever been pulled over by a police officer? Anybody? People, come on. I've already offended half the crowd. I'm sorry. I'm not responding to anything else today. No, uh, who's ever been pulled over by a police officer? Come on, you got pulled over. I've been pulled over before. Uh, actually, just a couple weeks ago, I got pulled over going to a small group. Uh, I'm like, my goodness, this is dangerous to go to church groups. But uh, I got pulled over. I've been there before. You've been there before? It's like, it's like going through immigrations when you're coming back into the country. You just feel guilty. Anybody else? The immigration officer says, do you have any drugs? You're like, maybe I do. I have a guilty conscience right now. I get nervous. I feel like, I, I feel like I'm going to get arrested. I'm like, I'm a pastor. I got a pretty clean life. But when that police officer walks up to my car, I start sweating in random places. Getting, my heart starts beating. I'm like, what do I play it cool, Mark? Play it cool. He walks up. You know, he always, like, you roll the window down. And, and you, you say the question that everyone always says, right? You're like, officer, what? <laughs> what seems to be the problem? <laughs> It's like the most, I don't know, I think this is like the dialogue that police officers have to go through, which I'm grateful for police officers. We have so many in our church, and we pray for our first responders, and we love them. But when I'm actually on the receiving end of their justice, uh, it's the funniest dialogue I think that they have to go through every day. They have to talk to liars all day long. They talk to liars. It's like they ask, you, they ask the officer, what, 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 seems, what seems to be the problem? And the officer says, do you know why I pulled you over? And most people lie. I try to be honest. I say, well, it depends on how long you've been following me. <laughs> Did you know you were speeding? I'm like, actually, I have a Speedo. Yes, I do. <laughs> it's a chronological speedometer. I got a digital speedometer right underneath that. I knew exactly how fast I was going. I didn't know where you were parked. And had I known where you were parked, we wouldn't be here right now. I would have known when to break. Come on, can I get an amen? You ever been pulled over before? Just problematic? It's changed my whole life, really. I mean, actually, when I get back from this trip, I'm actually going back to school. I don't know if I told you that. Uh, it's traffic school. Um, but you got to start somewhere. Can I get a good amen? It seems to be the problem. I love uh, the book of Joshua, and I want to kind of bring this all together today. God gave me this thought is uh, Joshua's a story about how really uh, a promise was made to a guy named Abraham uh, 600 years before Joshua chapter 1. I love Joshua because, and again, if I could summarize this quickly, Joshua is maybe one of the greatest humans that ever lived. Outside of Jesus, this guy never has any moral failures, no major mistakes. Under his leadership, they enter in Israel. Three million people enter into the greatest seven years in the history of Israel. They defeat 31 kings, they subdue seven nations in seven years, and they, had, they really, all they started doing was win, come on, win, 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 no matter what. And these, 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 these people were under the leadership of a guy named Joshua who was the uh, assistant of Moses, and I want to just let you know right out of the gate that this guy had a tall order in front of him, because succeeding Moses is like challenging, that's like being the brother of Jesus, almost. Like, why can't you be more like Jesus? Come on, 
How many know that Jesus' brothers had it tough? Always being compared to Jesus. Come on, why can't you clean your room like Jesus? Why can't you be healthy every day like Jesus? You try to stay home from school sick, Jesus walks by your bed, says, get up! You can't even stay home sick from school when you're Jesus' brother. Come on. And I think that Joshua actually had such a tall order at the beginning of his life, check this out, that God actually had to name the book after Joshua so we remembered him. So he was following this guy. We forget sometimes how amazing his story was that how in 430 years, God took 45 people, turned them into 3 million people, and gave them 10,000 square acres of the greatest real estate in the ancient world. God gave them the Mediterranean, from the, literally from, from Africa to Europe along the Mediterranean Sea, some of the most fertile, rich agricultural land in the world. It was given to 3 million people that didn't work for it, didn't earn it, and it was because of a promise that was made 600 years prior to a guy named... Abraham, that get awkward, <laughs> Abraham, <laughs> and the promise was is that one day God told Abraham that you're going to have descendants, they're going to be in 400 years of tyranny and slavery, but the day will come that I'm actually going to deliver them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, I'm going to give them an inheritance, Genesis chapter 15, and check this out, when they go into this land, I'm going to send them in, I'm going to punish the nation that oppressed them, and they're going to go into this land they didn't work for or earn, and live in houses they didn't build, and eat vineyards they didn't plant, and they're going to be blessed, come on, going in, and they're going to be blessed coming out. And he says this to them, he goes, I promise you, when this happens, you're going to go into this land favored. And so Abraham gets a promise, Joshua's the recipient of this promise, and here's what we pick up the story, is Joshua literally, he, uh, he, he has this promise in chapter one, that you're supposed to actually observe the law, to actually, to, to not let it depart from your mouth, to meditate on it day and night, and to do all that he says, and right away, unlike Unlike Zacharias, it says, how's this going to happen? And unlike all these people in the Bible, like Abraham, they're like, how, you know, how, Sarah's too old. And unlike Moses, that's like, I, st I, st I, st I, st I, st I stutter. I can't, I can't be used by you. Unlike everybody else, the moment Joshua heard God's report, he believed. And he goes, all right, God, today, he, right away, he tells everybody, hey, guys, God spoke to me. We're going in. This is our land. This is our territory. Let's do this thing. 31 kings. 31 before you get all like emp empathetic and you go, how could God destroy people? There are cultures that are unredeemable, but not people. Can I get it? Come on. I'm telling you that this was an unredeemable culture. You're like, man, that's so, how could God, how could there be such a vast, a vast genocide of people? These are people, and actually, by the way, if you go back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 16, it says that God gave them a allotted portion of time. I might even preach on this next service if that's okay. God gave them a designated portion of time to actually turn to him. But these guys were literally, they called it this ancient world. These are some of the most barbaric kings in history. Actually preying on the most innocent people of their civilizations. Sacrificing their babies, throwing their babies into fire, throwing them in snake pits, sacrificing virgins. Literally the most innocent, you got bestiality. Some of the most gnarly practices in civilization's history took place in this land and God gave them 600 years to get it together. And beyond 600 years, he actually sends in not two spies, two missionaries. And they actually get a hold of a girl named Rahab, who was a prostitute. I might even preach. Can I preach on that next service? Can I do a different message next? Is that okay? I want you, I love this story because literally God, in his mercy, actually favors a woman that does not deserve to be favored. 
spares your life. And here's what I know about the story. It's pretty wild. Is that, is that there's, there's a promised land. And I read this study. This one kind of started this whole thought. I read it in 2007. There was a survey conducted by Christians that stated that if, if Egypt was not knowing Jesus, if the wilderness was knowing God, going to heaven, but living in the weeds, and if the promised land represented doing what you were created to do on the earth, not living for a career, living for a calling, not living for, for a paycheck, but living to make a difference. They did a study in 2007 that stated that only 11% of the church believed they were living in their promised land. 11%. 89% of believers, friends, said, I either feel like I'm in Egypt still or I feel like I'm living in the weeds. I feel like I'm wandering through life. I feel empty, dissatisfied. I, feel, I go to bed at night. I don't feel fulfilled. I, I want to go to vacations because I want to numb the pain. I want to I entertain. I want to stimulate myself to death. And that's what's happening is God dreams are rotting in the soil of amusement. God never promised an amusement land. He, he promised a, come on, promised land. And it is a land of milk and honey, but it's also a land that flowed with spears and javelins. There was battles in the promised land, but come on, there was fulfillment in the promised land. And today, I don't know who you are, but I just came to announce to you, this is a season that God's getting ready to enter you into a land of promise. Victory in your families, victories in your business. Vic, come on, somebody, victory with your children. We don't serve a God that loses. We serve a God that wins. That's why I'm not into witchcraft and the occult. I'm not into it because it's not real. I'm not into it because they lose. I'm not into losing. Why would you be a witch? You lose. Lucifer is a loser. And I love this story, but I, I was bothered by this statistic. 11%? Can you imagine going to a high school that says, you should go to our school. We graduate 11% of our students. Imagine going to the doctor and he says, man, 11% of people live. I'm leaving. Imagine going to the trainer that says, man, we could help about 11% of the people that come in here. We can help you lose weight. About 11% of the people that come in lose weight. About 11% of the time, my team wins. Can you imagine 11%? But for some reason in the church, we're like, oh, it's just the way it is. I want you to know today, I want to announce to you that Joshua was a picture of having victory for seven years. And this is really crazy because we're like, well, what's the problem if we all want victory? Because the last time I checked, no one gets married going, you know what we want to do? We want to get divorced in about seven years. No one in here grows up fantasizing about defeat. No one here says, you know what I hope, man? I hope one day I have a job I can't stand. Hope I live in a house, man, that's just falling apart. I hope I drive a car that doesn't run consistently. I'm really hoping that my kids turn out awful. And man, if we're really lucky, I hope that we can just kind of scrape our way through life. Maybe never retire. But we not, none of us plan to not prosper. So why do we struggle? What seems to be the problem between the promise of God and the lifestyle of man? Here's what we know about promises. They're only as good as the person promising. Come on, Dumb and Dumber, remember the story? 250,000, hang on to that one. You, you, it's no good when someone promises you something that they can't come through on. But when God speaks up, because here's what we know about God, is that he can make anything happen. He says that God is not a man that he should lie. Why do men lie? To make themselves look better. But God can't make himself look better than he does. 
Why do men lie? Because they're trying to talk about things they can't perform. God has never said anything that he can't make happen. God is not a man. Are you following me today? He doesn't lie. When he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. I'm going to bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to give you houses you didn't build. I'm going to give you a life of purpose and meaning. And I believe many people are, are caught between this, this issue that they want to prosper, they want the promises of God on their life, but it seems like you're like talking to the police officer like, I don't, I, what's, I don't know exactly what the, what the problem is, but there is a problem. And the problem is, I've got four points for you today, very simple points, and uh, it's kind of like Dave Ramsey teachings, easy to understand, really hard to live out. <laughs> I'm still wondering why his website takes credit cards. We'll keep going. Um, I, uh, I don't, four points for you today is Joshua was told by God, he said, you want victory, you want to prosper? Here's, here's the first point, is uh, the problem with people that don't enter into the promised land is, number one, they don't know the promises. It's really hard to get an inheritance from your parents when you have no idea what's written in the will. Anybody? You guys processing? <laughs> it's true. My, my daughters, I could be Bill Gates. Uh, I could look like Brad Pitt. Come on, amen. But I could have Bill Gates resources. I could actually store up a great, great inheritance for my children. And here's the problem. If my kids never know who I am, what, I, what I'm worth, and what I've written to be given to them, they could actually live the rest of their life on the street destitute if they never know me and know what I have and know what I want to give them. And I believe the number one problem with today is not, uh, it's not that we don't have resources, it's that we're illiterate to what it is God promised to give us. He told Joshua, if you want to enter into this promised land, you got to know it. Someone say, know God's word. It's crazy. And if, if there was ever a person in the Bible that should have been skeptical of the Bible... There was ever anyone that should have said, I don't know if God's word is infallible. I don't think that the Bible is inspired. I, and, and again, there's probably atheists in the room. We're glad you're here this morning. And there's people that question the validity of scripture. If anyone on the earth ever had the right to question the, uh, the, the authority and the inspiration of scripture, it was our man Joshua. Because Joshua was actually hanging out on the mountain when, when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. He knew Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Moses wrote the Torah. Mo Moses wrote the book of Genesis, people. Moses, literally, maybe some of the most important books in our Bible were written by Moses, and Joshua knew not only the perfections of Moses, he knew the weakness of Moses. He saw Moses lose his attitude. He saw Moses go, just kill these, get rid of these people. He saw Moses have a bad day. And if anyone ever had the uh, opportunity to question, does God's written word, is it inspired by God? It was Joshua. Joshua could have discredited it. And notice that it didn't take two or 300 years to become a sacred writing. The moment Moses died, he says, this is what we're gonna read every day. This is God's written, come on, inspired, infallible, scholars call it plenary verbal, the choice of word, the selection of words, the authority of scripture. This is what we're going to do every day. We're going to read this thing. And notice that the, that the Bible never sat in the Ark of the Covenant like everything else the Ten Commandments did. 
Aaron's rod did. There was things that were in the Ten Commandments. The manna was in there. But notice was what was not buried in a sacred box, the scriptures. It wasn't once a year they pulled it out on Christmas and Easter. Come on, twice a year. And let's read this thing called the Bible. It's literally, he says, I want you to read this book of promises. Because if you don't know the promises, you'll never live out the promise. And I believe that the disconnect between why 89% of Christians are living underneath the water table of what Jesus died to give us is we have no idea what was written, come on, in the book. What we know about what Jesus writes, he only wrote one sermon in his life. It was when a woman was caught in adultery. And we don't know exactly what he wrote, but we do know this, that whatever he wrote saved her life. Whatever he wrote saved her life. And I'm convinced that today, whatever he writes still saves lives today. Come on, if you believe it, say amen. He says not only to, to, to actually read this book, this, I think a lot of Christians in Texas, they read the Bible. But I think that there's a second category. There's actually a third. There's a fourth category. There's a second category that says, I don't want you just to read it. He says, I don't want the law to depart from your I want you to be talking about it. I want you to be talking about what God did to your high school student at movement conference. I want you to go to work on Monday bragging about how your God healed your daughter at movement conference. I want you to go talking about how God answered a prayer you've been praying, broke through in a financial need. Man, to start restoring your marriage. Here's the problem. It's the complete opposite. Is society tells us, go to church if you want to celebrate God, but shut up the rest of the week. Come on, we all heard this. Church and politics, nothing divides faster than religion and politics. Why is it? I'm not, again, I'm not trying to talk about proselytizing. Do your job. If you're an accountant, come on, do some accounting. Come on, if you're a coach, do some coaching. If you're a teacher, do some teaching. But certainly don't ever feel like there's a shame when talking about how good God is. But we live in a day and age like, no, you shh, separation of church and stay. You gotta shh, shh. We're in public, shh. I got a church 11, shh. Why are we like shushed to death? Why is it? And by the way, just you wanna go back, you can look up David Barton, but David Barton will teach you who's one of the great historians of America, that the separation of church and state was not to keep religion out of politics. It was to keep politics out of religion. I, I don't know who you are today, but I just feel like the Lord wanted me to remind you is that when God says something to you, one of the greatest things you can do is actually say what he says. Reinhard Bonnke says that God's word in your mouth has as much power as it does in his mouth. And you start agreeing with what God has said. I think it's one of the reasons why God told the, the children of Israel to shut up for six days as they walked around Jericho. I think they would have talked themselves out of victory. They would have said, why are we quiet? Why, why are we walking around? Why are we using siege tactics? Why are we walking around this fortified city? Why? Man, this is crazy. We should be fighting. We should be sharpening our spears and our swords. This is, we're going to get our butts kicked. These guys are taller than us. They got better equipment than we do. They got a bigger wall. This wall is huge. Come on. But God's just like, hey, tell them to be quiet. Because I know that if they start talking, that they could talk themselves out of the victory I want to give them. So when you do talk, here's what I want you to I want you to read the book, but I want you to also, I want you to talk about it. Don't let it depart out of your mouth. I know we got some challenges, babe, but guess what? God is for us. I know there's some, there's some, there's some mountains ahead of us, but we're going to climb these suckers. 
I know we might even get a little bit cold while we're climbing, but there's some fires that are going to warm us up. I got news for you, friend, that we're not going to be a church. 1132, I'm telling you, you're not going to be a community that just knows the Bible but doesn't talk about it. Knows the power of God but doesn't tell anybody about it. And if you get offended when Pastor Dustin starts talking about big events at the Allen Center and about expansion and about reaching more people, basically when people say churches get too big, uh, I don't like big churches, that's like the same, it's the equivalent. I want to translate for you. Let me translate. When someone says, I don't like big churches, this is what they're saying. I'm okay with people going to hell. It's a translation. And I would like to just push back, because if I was the devil, you know what I would do? Is I would tell everybody in the church that you shouldn't like big churches. Because then he can keep everybody small. And hospitals, like churches, can't help as many people when they're smaller. But the bigger a church gets, like a hospital, there could be more specialty areas. And it's, isn't it fun? Let me just, I'll prove it to you. Can I prove it to you? Why is it a church or a town, if you grew up in a town of 4,000, why is that tiny? Who wants to move out of a town of 4,000? Come on. No, thank you. I don't want the mailman, the dog catcher, the principal, and the mayor to be the same person. That's too small. I knew everyone in my, gra- there was, there was a hundred people in my graduating class. I knew all of them. I knew everyone in my 4,000 member town. Why is a town of 4,000 small, but a church of 4,000? Could it be that the devil's like, all right, here's some voodoo stuff. Towns of 4,000s are small. Churches of 4,000s, too big. That's what I would do. I, uh, I believe that the promised land is for those that don't just talk about it, but take it a step further than talking. They start meditating on it. You know what meditation's like? I love, I'm, I'm in Texas. I'm in good company right now. I'd say this is California. It wouldn't land as well. Let me, tell, let me say it here. Meditation is like marination. You take on the flavor of what you meditate on. All the vegans would have just it would have went over their head right there. But come on, we're in God's country right now. Come on, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord was eating some, some ribs. You read your Bible. He had some milk, there was dairy, he had some bread, there were some carbs, and there was some barbecue. Come on. You love animals so much, stop eating their food. Come on. My sister-in-laws are vegans. I, uh, meditation, are you with me today? It's like marination. You take on the flavor of what you marinate on. And the fourth thing, and I don't have time to get into this, is, uh, is he says, I don't want you just to know it. I don't want you to talk about it alone. I don't even want you to think about it. I actually want you to do what you read, what you talk about, and what you meditate on. Do the original Nike right here. I want you to do this thing. Some Christians think that be, they, because they know a lot about the Bible that they're mature. Because they went to Christian high school and junior high schools and they grew up in the church and they went to cemetery or, or uh, seminary. They think that, that maturity is gauged by knowledge. But I want you that Bible trivia does not dictate maturity. One scholar said that you only believe the parts of the Bible that you practice. It's only what you live out that actually you believe in. 
You can, you can cite all 66 books, know all 40-plus authors. You can know that it was written over 1,600 years in three languages by, by John in, in the island of Patmos. It was finished up, and it started in Moses' time in lonely Arabia. And you could say that it was the most published book in history and the best-sold book in history and the first book translated in history. And you could cite some Bible trivia, but you only really believe the verses that you live. Live this book. And I'm telling you that the promised lands belong, belongs to people that can't teach good courses, but that can live godly lives. And the problem with Christianity today in the world of podcasts is that we're more impressed by gifting than godliness. They are different. We have a lot of gifted leaders in the church today, but we don't have very godly leaders. Godliness comes from doing. Yeah. Faith comes from hearing. Good conscience comes by doing. You talking about saved by good works? I'm talking about saved for good works. Thanks for listening to the Church 1132 broadcast. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience or at church1132.com.